Hi everybody, Carlos Mancia, and welcome to episode 2 of the No Files Podcast. Um, I'd like to begin by apologizing for not getting an episode, an episode out uh, recently. I've been busy as a full-time student. Uh, hopefully you guys can understand that. It, anyways, we here in the South were impacted by a hurricane, a Hurricane Ian. Um, I... Thoughts and prayers to those who were deeply affected, um, considering that we saw a lot of flooding and things of serious nature. I'm uh, considering myself very fortunate, was not impacted too badly, did not lose power, or, nor was I flooded. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to dive into some topics, and we're going to go right off the bat here with... Um, Something that's top of the minds of many NFL fans recently, the injury to Tua Tagovailoa. This has not been a good few days for the NFL from a PR standpoint. They're talking about head um, um, safety when it comes to the collisions and all that. And while they have made progress, yes, over the years, we're not seeing... We see in the 70s and 80s with guys getting slammed on their head and coming right back into the game. But uh, this past these past two games for the Dolphins has uh, been proof that work still needs to be done in that regard. Probably he should have been able to come back into that game against Buffalo. He was clearly uh, disoriented. I'm no neurosurgeon, no neurologist, so. I'm not going to over-speculate on something I don't know too much about, but he did not look like he was at full health. And the fact that he was able to not only come back into that game against Buffalo, but able to start that game against Cincinnati um, is incredibly disappointing. The Dolphins neglected... uh, his health and safety for what they thought would have tried to better the team that result um, that resulted in that scary injury Thursday night in Cincinnati went down hard landed on the back of his head uh, did the fencing gesture that I've seen uh, many doctors over the last few days uh, refer to as something that is a sign of head trauma and something that should be taken seriously. I remember seeing that with Texans quarterback Tom Savage in a game against the 49ers about five years ago in Houston. He did the exact same thing. I was I was moved by that. And the, and the fact that I saw that again Thursday night is disheartening. Uh, the National, the NFLPA wanted to investigate to... And that they have been doing. They've already fired uh, the independent neurotrauma consultant associated with his case. Uh, but I, another thing that disturbed me about this whole thing is Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel. Um, he was asked in his postgame presser after the loss in Cincinnati if he had a chance to do this over again, would he do anything differently? Uh, he said, quote, absolutely not. To that I say, look, that's your franchise quarterback out there. 
Would you rather sit him for a game or two or potentially ruin the man's life after football? To me, uh, I think the Dolphins, to some extent, whether it's their training staff or some, there should be some level of accountability there uh, levied against the Miami Dolphins. But then again, what do I know? So since uh, the last episode, right before the start of the season, uh, things have shaped out uh, quite interestingly. I said the Las Vegas Raiders would be my dark horse team. They started 0-3. They blew that uh, big lead to the Arizona Cardinals in Week 2. And and Josh McDaniels looked a lot like the coach we saw in Denver about a decade ago. Uh, However, they did have a nice victory um, this weekend against the Denver Broncos. Huge performance there for Josh Jacobs. Averaged over 5 yards a carry. So maybe there's some positive momentum going there in Las Vegas. Like we saw after Cincinnati's slow start as they've now won two in a row after losing two stunning games to the Steelers in what was a wild game. Five turnovers there for Joe Burrow that day against Pittsburgh. Uh, And an injured long snapper, um, it'd be safe to say, cost the Bengals that game. They lose that game to Dallas as well against uh, Cooper Rush, who is now 4-0 as a starter, by the way, for the Cowboys after beating Washington yesterday. The Bengals have had two nice uh, bounce-back wins against the the New York Jets on Week 3 and then this Thursday over Miami. Uh, Miami, as I was talking about earlier, have been a very surprising team. They were one of the league's last two undefeated teams. Um, and 3-0 start after beating uh, New England and then uh, the wild game against the Ravens uh, two attack of a low four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter of that game uh, Dolphins outscore the Ravens 28-3 in that come from behind win where the Ravens at one point led The Ravens at one point led that game 31-14. to 14. They blew that. Other teams that have been particularly surprising is the last remaining undefeated team with the Philadelphia Eagles sitting at 4-0. Who would have thought who had them as the last undefeated on your... Or who predicted that? Uh, I knew they were going to be better than they've been the last few years. Uh... I had them winning their division at 11-6 and six in my preseason predictions. Um, with the progress we've seen from Justin, uh, Jalen Hurts, rather. Uh, Hurts uh, this season. Now with 11, a little over 1,100 yards, four touchdowns, two picks through the air. A rating of 99.6. Averaging a hair under 10 yards per attempt. Getting it done with his legs to 53 carries, 205 yards. Uh, Eagles, serious threat in the NFC. 
Uh, the New York, speaking of keeping in the NFC East, they have been a surprising division overall. The Giants, and they started 2-0, now set at 3-1. and one. Um, they've started, they started their first two games, uh, slowly, but, uh, have had strong second halves in their first three games, and then a solid performance all around against the, uh, Chicago Bears this weekend. They've got a big game coming up against the Green Bay Packers this coming Sunday in London. They're Saquon Barkley in the offensive line, a huge reason for why they've been able to surprise a lot of people. Uh, they, they're averaging, uh, 192 yards per game on the ground, uh, which is tops in the NFL. And their passing defense holding teams to just 200 yards. Also, been a big reason why they've been able to do so well. That offensive line really doing Saquon Barkley favors, and now he's starting to look like the running back we thought we'd see coming into Penn State, and hopefully for the Giants, they're able to keep this up. Uh, this past Sunday against the Bears, 31 carries, 146 yards. And to the uh, aforementioned point about the uh, Giants' passing defense, they are holding fields to only 11 of 22 for 174 yards. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, they were embarrassed on national TV there in week one. Um, Buccaneers easily dispatched them 19-3, but since Cooper Rush took over, they eked out that close win against Cincinnati. They looked very good in that first half. They had a very convincing second half against the Giants last Monday night. And, and like the Giants themselves had this week, an all-around solid performance against the Commanders. Cooper Rush now 4-0 as a starter. No quarterback in the history of the Dallas Cowboys had won their first four starts, so Cooper Rush did. That dates back to that game he had last year against Minnesota. On Sunday night when Prescott was out with a calf injury. Now they've got a big test coming up this weekend against the defending champion Rams, followed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, other teams that have surprised me. Uh, Mahomes has real, uh, quieted uh, a lot of the critics saying that he needed Tyreek Hill. Uh, Hill himself having a great season in his own right in Miami, but Mahomes getting it done there in Kansas City. Uh, with 11 touchdowns, 2 picks, and 1,100 yards. Mahomes there with 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, 2 picks. Rating of 108. Uh, with a receiving core led by the former Steeler, Juju Smith-Schuster, former Packer, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and McCole Hardman. So Mahomes is doing... 
they've gotten off to a better start than they did last year with uh, fewer offensive weapons. That's a very promising sign for the Chiefs and their fan base. Jacksonville Jaguars have also surprised, but their defense playing incredibly well. They're sure they're 2-2, two and two, but that's good enough to lead the AFC South. The thing the Jaguars have been able to do well, actually, they've been not only been able to put points up out of the board, they're 6th in points and 4th in scoring defense. So that's really what's worked out for them. Trevor Lawrence, um, much better season than a year ago. Uh, 946 yards, 8 touchdowns, 2 picks. But I guess um, that's what happens when you no longer have to deal with uh, Urban Meyer. Now, a new storyline emerged uh, yesterday um, with my Pittsburgh Steelers. And that was um, when... Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, who is uh, the starter for the first uh, three games, uh, and full disclosure here, I was full on on the Trubisky train, the uh, Trubisky train all off season. I thought that under the right set of circumstances, with the weapons that the Steelers have, that he would be able to be a little more successful than he was in Chicago. Um. Things did not start out well. He did not throw for 200 yards in a game until week three. The offense only mustered uh, the five offensive touchdowns in the first three games. They were held without a touchdown through the first half of week four when M Mike Tomlin pulled the plug and brought on the rookie Kenny Pickett out of Pitt. Now, I was... Staunchly against this move as a staunch uh, supporter there of uh, Mitchell Trubisky. He's saying that, look, I blamed uh, Trubisky's struggles on the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. The same issues that were going on with Ben Roethlisberger late in his career are re-emerging here, and the common denominator is Canada as the play caller. So I didn't think anything would change with the... Uh, move made at quarterback, Kenny Pickett comes in, and I'm willing to come out here and say that I was wrong, and he shut me up. Sure, the stat sheet shows that he threw three interceptions, but he brought the Steelers back into this game, gave the Steelers a 10-point lead, He ran for two touchdowns as well, but the offense showed me something I hadn't seen from them in a long time, and that was signs of life. Instead of this dink and dunk, uh, three and out, three and out, three and out offense. He was willing to take chances. And that was incredibly promising. I mentioned the three interceptions earlier. He should have thrown one away, but all three picks came off the hands of his receiver. 
or two of the picks came off the hands of the receivers. One was tight end Pat Frymuth, the other wide receiver Chase Claypool. Which yes, that Chase Claypool one was an underthrown ball, but when you're six foot five and have the athletic ability that Claypool has, um, you're kind of expected to make those kind of catches. But then again, as I mentioned earlier, what do I know? Um, And the other was just the Hail Mary, which, again, was a very catchable ball. He also was willing to throw to the perimeter and find George Pickens, the highly touted receiver out of Georgia, who, through the first three games, uh, had four catches for 52 yards, sorry, 55 yards. Six catches, 102 yards yesterday. So despite the loss and despite a tough patch in the Steelers' schedule coming up with games against Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Miami, and Philadelphia, the offense has given me some hope. Hopefully now this offense can score points and allow the defense to get rest, which is something they've struggled with through those early games. So what are your thoughts on the NFL season thus far? Um... Let me know on the uh, Instagram and on my YouTube comments if you're, this is where you're watching. Um, let me know what you might be looking forward to in the, uh, in the next few weeks. And now, uh, to baseball. When Major League Baseball had its uh, lockout this offseason, a lot of people were worried about the future of the game and how to attract young fans. Well, how do you attract young fans? I don't know. How about a home run chase and a tight playoff race? First off, Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. <clears throat> having one of the great uh, hitting seasons in recent memory and perhaps of all time. As some have said. Uh, he is in the Triple Crown race. For the American League. He is second in average. Just He's hitting 311. Luis Arias of the Twins, 315. Um, judge far and away the American League leader with home runs. Matching Roger Maris's 61. With a chance at 62 over the next four games against Texas. And RBI-wise, at 1-11, far and away ahead of Houston's Alex Bregman. Then, as I mentioned earlier, the tight playoff race in the NL East this weekend came down to a three-game set between the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. Mets um, came into the series holding a one-game lead and owning the tiebreaker over the Braves. However, things got interesting when Atlanta swept those Mets. Um, it's and the shocking part of that sweep uh, were the first two games met uh, Braves winning 2-5, to five, B 
beating up on their ace, Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom giving up three home runs. Then they turn it around Saturday. Win 4-2 over Max Scherzer, who they went out and acquired this offseason from the Dodgers. And now the Mets are in a position where they now will in all likelihood have to win two out of three. If the season ended today, Monday, October 3rd, they would have to beat San Diego in two out of three games where they would either face the Dodgers or the Braves. Other storylines include Albert Pujols' final season. He now hit home run 702 yesterday. On Sunday, he went two for three yesterday. Uh, three RBI. Those three RBI gave him 64 on the season. And now has... 2,214 for his career. Now tied second all-time with Babe Ruth. Um, Gadier Molina was also taken out of the game with him in the fourth inning along with Adam Wainwright as two of the three in Pujols and Molina are retiring this offseason following their playoff run as well. And the final baseball story to just make mention of is the Seattle Mariners clinching their first postseason berth since 2001 when they won 116 games. Regardless of who you root for, you have to be happy for that fan base after they've waited so long to taste uh, any sign of success. Um, that was Ichiro's lone postseason appearance with the club. And he... He later grew to become one of the faces of the history of that franchise. And only one postseason berth to show for it. And something those fans can rejoice over. Maybe doing it for Ichiro or for Felix Hernandez, who did not make it to the postseason despite all his years of service with the club. Uh, last perfect game, he did that a decade ago with the Mariners. That's something for that fan base to look forward to. I will go more in depth uh, in my next episode about baseball. If you guys want to see it, again, let me know. So yeah, that should do it for this episode of the No Fouls Podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Uh, we're on um, YouTube, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, let me know if there's anything, any topics that, um, you want discussed on the show or anything. Uh, so yeah, I'll see you in the next episode.